0: Cast. it's not about the corner office it's not about the fancy title it's not even about the extra money responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you and that care takes on many forms this podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P H A L A N X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got an outstanding guest for you this week, like I do every single week on this show, Mr. John Robertson. John, thanks for being with us today.
1: Actually, it's my honor, and I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with you, Earl.
0: Oh, I am, I am looking forward to having this conversation here, not only just because of those beautiful rich tones that we just heard come across the air there already, but because listeners, what I want you to know about John is uh, he is inspired and driven by his values. John acts as a facilitator, coach, and guide for his clients as they test, discover, and expand what they can do. He uses concrete, verifiable processes to help them achieve demonstrable solution-focused results. Remaining faithful to his passions and principles, John invests himself in his vocation without reservation. He provides spirit-filled, insightful guidance that his clients use to amplify their lives and their businesses. John truly provides leadership people can follow through storms and And that's reflected in his book, Run Toward the Roar, which is something we'll talk quite a bit about during this conversation. But before we get into that conversation, I want to start you off where I start off all of my guests. When you hear the words responsible leadership, what does that look like to you?
1: And as much as this sounds like I'm blowing my own horn, it's actually the way I believe leadership can be responsible. Number one, what are we passionate about? Because that part, which is the premise behind the book, Passio Fidelis, but we'll get into that. The, when we are for something, we're not always reacting to what a lot of people tell us, well, I don't like this and what they're against. So passion is what we're for. And that is our values. And that determines our authority. And the lowest form of authority is leadership, is a position rather. So the highest form of leadership is personhood and who we are. And so when I think of that term, the, the concept of responsible leadership, it is the person who knows what he or she is for and is to willing to walk that out despite the chirping from the stands and live so that they finish well. Mm,
0: I like that. I like that a lot. And that 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 uh passio fidelis, that that really that really stuck out to me. And I I do want to talk about that a little bit more because you know, as as United States Marine, you know, our kind of motto is is Semper Fidelis. Um, so, you know, let's talk about that, that passio fidelis, like, like, what does that mean? Okay. Uh, you know, by the way, great.
1: I'm glad you asked that question, but on a serious note, I actually was thinking of using the term semper fidelis, but a lot of people, semper fi, a lot of people know it as a Marines thing. And I didn't, right. it's not about copyright. It's about the ethos behind it. Mm-hmm. Semper meaning always fidelis is the root word of fidelity of faithfulness, of loyalty. And in order to run toward the roar, in order to be able to thrive, in order to transform crisis, which can be changed for some people, but in order to transform crisis into the opportunity, you and I have to know what we are going to be fidelis for, faithful, loyal fidelity. And that is our values. And passio is the root word of passion. So when we determine our passio fidelis, what we are passionately faithful towards, that's what leaks out when we're in hot water. And that's how I refer to crisis or change. It's a hot water teabag moment. What's inside? If you want to find out what's important to a person or an organization, put them in hot water. What's yeah. inside always leaks out. Yeah. And, and and the theme of being a responsible leader, that whole premise of responsible leadership, it is being proactive beforehand to say, okay, when I'm up to my neck in alligators, what do I want people to see leak out of me? Not values posted on some website somewhere or what we tell people, but the real The real stuff, the, you know what, if you ask me to choose between sitting beside the soccer pitch at one of my kids' games, not competitive level, just a normal quote-unquote house league level or attending a meeting, you might be sadly disappointed that I choose my kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yes. And, and, and I love, (laughs) Wow. i love i love everything you said there because it 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 reminded me you know and i've talked about this a little bit on this show before but that that uh i, I like that teabag analogy i've heard you kind of mention that on on some of the shows i listen to my, my mm-hmm. listeners know i do my due diligence and and listen to guests uh, other appearances on shows and i i, I love that analogy because it reminded me of um the the final stage of marine corps boot camp we have to go through something called the crucible the, the purifying moment yes um and and you know for those who haven't heard or or don't know the you know the gist of that is it's a you know 3 day event you march somewhere in the neighborhood of 65 miles over the course of those 3 days you get about 3 hours of sleep you have uh, one and a half uh, MREs over the course of that three days and that 65 miles of marching. But through that time frame, while you're sleep defri- uh, deprived, you're food deprived, they put you through all of these mental and physical tests and what they don't tell you at the time and what you're not thinking about, because up until that point, everything has been about passing the physical and mental tests. Is It's about how you react in the moment. They're judging you on, mm. on, do you break down? Do you start sniping at each other? Do you start yelling and screaming at each other? They're, they're gauging that. How well do you hold up under that pressure and still problem solve and keep the team together and, and look out for one another? That's the true test. And what and great... brothers, they're pouring the hot water on you at that moment. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, what a great, and I remember high school and university science, what a great visual of the crucible. Yeah. And, and, and that's one of the challenges right now is we live in a time where many people are more than willing to tell us what they don't like, what they don't agree with, what they're against. Crucibles. Define what we are for. Those hot water tea bag moments reveal what's inside.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I, I think. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, I was just going to say. And, and I think that's the one thing that I really loved about your book, and I loved about the title of your book is is, uh, you know, I, I say this a lot on here because when I see a book design that I really love, uh, I've got to give it credit, and I, and, you know, the the visual for the cover of this book folks um run toward the roar and you've got this lion kind of chomping on the roar um but it was one of these things that we would say you know that we got kind of beaten our heads again not just in boot camp but all throughout our marine corps careers is courage isn't the absence of fear hmm. courage is embracing the presence of fear and acting anyway.
1: I, well, if we were in a different culture, I would say something like, amen, brother, you preach it. And because what you put your finger on, and that's where uh, I keep calling him Tom Collins, but that's a drink. The author of the book, Jim Collins, yeah, is in Good to Great. He quotes Admiral Stockdale, and it's that Stockdale paradox of, you know, we, we got some brutal realities to confront. However, we will prevail in the end mm. and and the way I teach leadership and so whether you call it keynote or plenary, whatever the speaking part is getting people to stop thinking about leadership as a program or check, check mark or letters after one's name and it's that refiners fire the the crucible to say, if we go through this river. What do we want on the other side of this refiner's river, this river of fire? What do we want on the other side? What's the impurities burned away? And as a useless bit of trivia, but it illustrates it perfectly. Do you know how they used to silversmith, smelt, I guess the process is. Do you know how the silversmith used to smelt silver? Uh,
0: No, no. Tell me.
1: So... What they used to do, and I'm not a, whatever, geography a geology type person. So whatever the product is that silver was in, they would put it in, to use your term, a crucible and fire underneath. And then the way it worked is all the impurities would burn to the surface, boil to the surface. And the silversmith would skim the, the gunk off the top. And after enough of that, It would the silversmith would let it cool down and look into the pot. And if the reflection was not perfectly clear, it would go back into the fire and burn away more impurities. Hmm. What does it mean to be that kind of leader that people trust and follow and respect, even when they don't always like us? It means we have done crucible or fire time so that what they see reflected in us and through us is exactly what we wanted them to see, even if they don't like us.
0: Yeah. Well, wow. Yeah. No, that is that. I, I like that. I, I hadn't heard that, that view of the crucible that way. I mean, I, I, but, but no, that is great. I mean, cause it is, I mean, and that is a very big uh, piece of, of, leadership responsibility is you know because i talk about introspection and improvement that's one of the shields of the phalanx that i talk about is introspection and improvement and that's what you're talking about is is going through that process over and over again (laughs) and and improving each one of those firings in the crucible and i just want to take a quick second to you know uh, give a shout out to to admiral stockdale there because i want to say it was like way back in episode three or four i had the the complete honor of interviewing uh, Colonel Lee Ellis, who was a prisoner at the Hanoi Hilton. And I think Admiral Stockdale is maybe the most underrated leader uh, of the last hundred years that Mm. sadly too many people know nothing about.
1: Well, and isn't that, I mean, this is a perfect illustration of that whole ethos around leadership because that whole Vietnam U.S. dynamic what I'm not getting into it but there's such polarized perspectives on it that when we have people of incredible caliber that are not Chuck Norris or Rambo or any of these people right that there is a quality that those environments reveal I mean we can go back to World War II with uh what's his name Winston Churchill Mm -hmm. you know he was kind of a nobody go back hundreds of years and you get a Lincoln Lincoln who failed numerous elections became president.
0: Right. Well, go back to George Washington, George Washington. Yeah. He he was a failed military commander until he succeeded.
1: And, and what you're putting your finger on in those analogies is as a leader that I want people to trust, respect and follow me. I have to define what I am for, even if nobody notices. Right. And, and right now, that's a huge stone in the shoe for so many leaders. And, and I mean, Earl, let me just put it out there. Question that I ask, and I ask it every time I can, so I'm going to do it to you. How do you want people to describe you, non-physically?
0: Yeah, I, you know, that is a great question, and and I, I've I've had people ask me that question before, and and I boil it down to one word for for me, that one word is integrity. Hmm. That that that's how I want people to describe me. If if I if if they said nothing else about me and they said Earl had integrity, I would be a happy person.
1: And and this is where we're kind of reading off the same song sheet or singing or whatever it is, but off the same sheet. Because if we look at the etymology of the word integrity. It comes from the Latin, and I'm not a linguistic person, but it is a number that is only divisible by one, and it is self. It is that, hence why we have successive integers. And, you know, a person who says one thing and does it is that kind of leader that, you know what, I know you got my back even if I don't want to do Friday night pizza and wings with you.
0: <laughs> right. And that's, that, that is, I love the way you put that. Cause that's exactly what I've said to people. Like I've, I've had people ask me before it's like, Earl, what do you think? And, and my response is usually like, okay, before I answer that, do you really want to know what <laughs> yeah. I think? Yeah, Because it may not be what you want to hear, but it's what yeah. I think you need to hear.
1: Absolutely. And wow. and so this goes to, and so what happens with crisis or change? And, and part of why I use those two terms together is change can be a crisis for some people. Mm-hmm. But one of the most important themes to be mindful of is the event is never the real crisis. Yes. And I can go, and I'm not anything too close to your training, but I can go to most of the you know, military personnel, I know their definition of crisis is way beyond the general populations. Like they're not even on the same book when it comes to what qualifies as a crisis. And Uh, go ahead.
0: No, I just wanted to, I just wanted to hit on that right there. Right. Because that is one of the reasons why, and, 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 and John, you, you just hit on a beautiful revelation right there, right? Most people's definition of crisis um, is, it's, it's kind of distorted a little bit, right? And, and this is why history, I think, is such an important topic that, that we do a terrible job of teaching because one of the things that they did was they, they beat military history into our heads, not because they wanted us to know the history so much, But it was like, when you understand what humans have been through, you know, when you understand what we have done and what we have accomplished, a paper jam and a copier is just no big deal. (laughs) That's
1: that's the term that gets thrown around is it's truly a first world problem.
0: Right you know so yeah go ahead i mean i didn't i didn't really want to interrupt there but i no. I, I wanted to really kind of build on that because you're right i mean the, those things like when we talk about like what is a problem what is a crisis today oh the battery on my cell phone died that's that's not a i mean yes it's a big deal right cuz maybe your kids are at school and they may me to get a hold of you yes it is an issue but there's a solution to it. You plug it in. It's not a crisis, right?
1: <laughs> and and so the easiest way and I, <clears throat> to teach around crisis, there's four elements that I point out to people. Number one, it's unexpected. Number two, it's a threat to our goals. And number three, it impacts our norm. Those are most people's definition of a crisis. But it's the fourth one that sets it apart. And the fourth factor or element of crisis is that point when the status quo is no longer an option and change has to happen. And if change is not required, then it's just a failure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, go deeper in that cuz cause, cuz cause I like that. Go go deeper into that. If change is not required, it's just a failure.
1: And and so therefore, if I you and I whatever, <clears throat> if we want to set up a potato picking farm and you know, we try and get it set up and we get the rows done and we get the hills done and we get everything planted and for whatever reason it fails. Okay, well, we tried it, it didn't work. On the other hand, if you and I do all the same thing, and we fertilize, we weed, we prune, we do all the things that are required, and it doesn't work, then we can step back and say, okay, what was it about this potato stuff that didn't work? Okay, well, we're trying to plant it in a culture, uh, sorry, in a climate that doesn't support potato growth. Therefore, change is required. On the other hand, if I have to plant potatoes and grow them in this area and it doesn't grow, then it's a failure. You There's no point crying over spilt milk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um... (laughs) So I I work with I I like that analogy because I remember there was uh, I live in Indiana and at one point in time I lived in the northern part of the state. And what a lot of people don't realize is in uh, southern Michigan on the western coast on Lake Michigan, there's a significant number of um, orchards along the coast. And uh, there was this one farm, they they grew a particular type of peach. I don't remember what type of peach it is now. Um, But there was this one year, they had an early frost come in, and it wiped out something like 70, 80% of the orchards. And they were going through the process, the farmers were going through the process of um, applying for aid. But there was this one farmer, he refused to, to apply for aid. And the other, it was holding up the process for the other, uh, the other farmers, right? And so it, it turned into this whole big deal. Well, he was interviewed and one of the reporters asked him, says, uh, I think his name was Herb Teichman, if I remember right. I said, Herb, why are you not going to apply for aid? He said, look, he goes, it's this simple. He goes, we know the business that we're in. We know the dangers. He goes, if I go to the horse track and I bet on the wrong horse, I don't get to apply for aid to get my bet covered. Hmm. (laughs) And he goes, yeah, that, yeah. And that was it. It was that simple for him. Like he, he, he knew the dangers of, of the profession he chose. And for him, that was just the cost of doing business was this, this, this orchard getting wiped out. He didn't understand that.
1: (laughs) What a great visual of responsible leadership, Earl. Yeah. You know, like think about the ethos behind if I'm only going to try things that number one can't fail, but if it does fail, I'll get whatever VC funding or some kind of aid. Go back to what is real courage? What is real responsibility? what is the crucible
0: yeah yeah
1: and and that's the key behind reframing crisis as an opportunity crisis can be that opportunity to say okay what was is not an option <clears throat> do i take the best and forget the rest can I go back to your, what you were sharing? Can I learn from history? What have other people done? Because I'm not the first person who's ever tried to do this, ever. I might be differently in how I'm doing it, but I'm not the first person. <clears throat> what can I learn from history? And then when I get a Charlie horse from these moments, what am I going to do to define a refinable new norm?
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean those are those are outstanding questions. Those are outstanding questions for people to 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 think on. And and I think that's a I think that's a good point of of contemplation uh to take a quick break and uh pay some bills and we can pick up on that moment on the other side of the commercial break. How's that sound? Perfect. There we Go. All right, folks, we're going to go into uh, commercial break here real quick, and we're going to be back on the other side and continue our conversation with John Robertson. All right, here we are back with John Robertson. And on the, the other side of that uh, commercial break here, uh, he gave us some questions for contemplation we were talking about change we're talking about crisis and you know that's been a big point for me on this show especially here in the last few episodes and uh, a quote that i've shared quite a few times goes unattributed and i'm not sure if you've heard this one or not john but it goes change is changing faster than change has ever changed before uh And and A, I think it's, yeah, it's true. And it's only picking up at a a rapid pace. It's like the snowball rolling downhill, right? Change is just getting bigger and faster and taking out more things as it goes downhill, which is why I think your book and your questions are so important because change can lead to crisis. Crisis can lead to change. They can build off of one another and guiding people through those questions and answering them and how they take those those moments and turning them opportunities are often the difference makers in whether an organization continues existing, right?
1: And and that's the key is even if, well, I'll go back to the analogy you we're sharing, even if I apply for funding, I may continue to exist. But does that mean anybody wants to be there? Is it thriving? Does anybody want to do business? And part of defining that refinable new norm requires growth. You know, so when I was kind of university college bound, this is what my new norm was defined as. Graduating, this is what it is. Married, this is what it is. In business, this is what success means for me. and. If you and I, and in North America, it's called an end zone in football. If we clarify our end zone, then we can build our one and ten plan to keep growing forward, mm-hmm. and 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 therefore, crisis or change can be that catalyst. And whether it be a hot water teabag, a river of fire, or crucible, it can be that catalyst to spur us to the next level, or we can allow it to take us out of the game. Both are options. I prefer people to find a way to stay in the game and reframe it. A beautiful illustration of this is I was doing some work with a business owner and he took over another business portfolio. We did a whole bunch of work around his values and there was a couple pieces of areas where because he was conflict adverse, he, he super, super guy, but very detailed oriented, which probably a good thing considering he was in the finance field. But <laughs> but he was challenging with that stone in the shoe stuff. So yep. we did some of the work and I did some of the stuff with his his people, his team and that he works with. And I just got an email from him uh, might have been yesterday if it wasn't. It was the day before. And the email says, Values works. Uh, uh, client information been deleted. And he sent me the whole email chain. And what happened was he dropped the ball and on some things that he was supposed to be doing for the client. And... <laughs> He wore it instead of doing the, yeah, well, you know, there's another outstanding invoice. And he started walking through all the various factors. None of that came in. And this is what happens with crisis or change. We start to look for what's called the causal effect. This happened, therefore that happened. This was done, therefore it impacted us. This, and we look for that cause and effect. He totally turned the table And he said, you know what? Regardless of how we got into this position, I will waive the rest of the invoice. I truly apologize for the breakdown in communication. Here's what happened from our end. One of our values is transparency. And I totally apologize for how we dropped the ball and how obviously it has come across to you. I am sorry. I respect your right if we're not the kind of group that you want to continue to do business with. Let us know. This client came back and said, "Appreciate you waving ha- the other half of the invoice. As for not doing business, you're actually the exact type of business we want to do it work with. I have actually connected a couple of my other senior directors on this email and we look forward to following up the work with you." Yeah. It's Cause- it, it, it Earl it is so refreshing when the person that we meet is the one that was described.
0: Yeah. Well, you just described, and this is the thing that I I talk a lot about too, is, is the power of, of ownership, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You know, a lot of people, and I've, I've, I've talked about this early on. I used to do, uh, when when I first started the podcast, I wasn't so lucky to to be able to get interviews uh, lined up to do shows every week. So I, I did story time uh, in between, and I, I shared um, the the Apollo One uh, story. Uh, the have you ever heard of the Kranz dictum?
1: No, I have not.
0: Oh, it's a beautiful story. Like I uh, so. Well, it's a tragic story, but it's also beautiful with what we're talking about here because is the uh, following the Apollo One mission disaster where uh, the three astronauts lost their lives because the capsule uh, got engulfed in flames. Gene Kranz was the flight director of of that flight, um, and long story short, immediately after, so that that uh, that disaster happens on Friday, Monday morning. He comes into work and he pulls everybody in and he gives him this this speech that became known as the Cran's dictum and and the the synthesis uh, the shortened version is he says look he goes I don't know what the investigations are going to find but I know what I find we were at fault this is where we messed up these are the things that we did that led to this disaster and these are the things that we are going to do to ensure that it never happens again. Right. This is like no. the next business day. No. Well, lo and behold, the report comes down and everything he had already identified were the things that they identified. And he had already fixed everything and made other improvements along the way. And so when they were looking for the, the proverbial scapegoat, there was none to be found. And always, like, make this connection there because think about this for a second. Had he done what most leaders would have done in that situation, you've got loss of life, you've got a really cushy government job, you've, you're in a cutting-edge field at the time that's very high profile because these folks were rock stars at the time, right?
1: Yeah. It
0: would have been very easy for him to be like, okay, let's just see what happens and kind of skirt around it and not hit this thing head on. Had he done that, there's a high likelihood that the Thompson committee comes back and says, hey, this is where you screwed up. You've done nothing to fix it. You're fired. Yep. Fast forward to Apollo 13. Gene Kranz isn't in the room when those astronauts need his leadership to help them get back home. What happens at Apollo 13? Yep. We don't know but maybe it doesn't go as great as it did. And maybe we lose those astronauts as well. Right. And wow. by what you just said, you know, by by, by hitting it head on, by being transparent, by having integrity, by, by having ownership, Gene Kranz not only fixed that, got the mission back on track, kept his job was, was there for Apollo 13. And we never have to really find the answer to that question.
1: And, And one of the things that uh, challenge the listeners is when people blame, we are actually playing the victim card Mm. because blaming is a pride issue. Yeah. And when pride is in leadership, it doesn't matter what we do. Crucibles eat pride alive.
0: Yeah yeah
1: and and that's part of why that whole visual of leadership that i describe is shepherds not ranchers yeah shepherds in front walking the talk and they hang out with their people they get to know them but their focus is not hanging out with them the focus is where we are going Ranchers hang out with people, but their model is driving them in the direction they want them to go. Yeah. And so the way I describe a Charlie horse, uh, sorry, the way I describe a crisis or a change is I describe it as a Charlie horse. And if any of your listeners have never had a Charlie, physical Charlie horse, I feel really sad for you because you have missed out on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't even have the rest of the words to put to that. But oh, most yeah. most of us have had that coach that says, skate it off, walk it off. You're fine. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. A good leader doesn't do that kind of garbage. You know, somebody going through a divorce, emotional Charlie horse, relational Charlie horse, depending on their belief system, a moral Charlie horse. and. You know, in the same way a physical Charlie horse can take our head out of the game for the moment, the exact same thing can happen with a psychological or relational or moral or emotional Charlie horse. Doesn't mean there's a problem, but what a golden window for leaders to model responsibility.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You just, oh... See, I'm loving this conversation a lot because you just—it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Are you familiar with the movie Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood? Yeah. Yep. So if you remember, there's the scene with the uh, the Hispanic Marine that that keeps showing up late to uh, yep. to formation. Yeah, And, you know, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, it's a very stereotypical Clint Eastwood, you know, <laughs> no nonsense, grit and, you know, cursing and spitting and slobbering type of character. And he's playing a Marine gunnery sergeant. So you had Clint Eastwood on top of Clint Eastwood playing a Marine. But, you know, there, there's a powerful scene in there where he keeps getting mad at this guy for misinformation, being late for formation, all this good stuff. But but what what John just said happens. He finally like he tries to find out why and he realizes, follows this guy, finds out he's living off base, he's got a wife, he's got two kids, he's got all this stuff going on. And instead of just like making this guy's life worse, he gives him like two or three hundred dollars and helps him out. And for the rest of the movie, the guy shows up on time. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. And and a responsible leadership is never about who knows what one has done. Yeah. They just do it because you know what? This is how I can help people get their heads back in the game. Let's move along. Yeah.
0: And and I think that is a valuable point there that you just made too, because it reminded me of, of another, of another point in another uh, parable. Um, it's a Chinese parable. Uh, I think that the English translation closest is, is, uh, well, maybe. Have you ever have you heard the well maybe story? No. Okay, so it's and it's about like obviously not, I
1: haven't lived much. I don't know some of these <laughs> stories, buddy.
0: <laughs> no, it's 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 fine. It's I've I've I just listen and watch way too much crap. I think that's the problem. Uh, <laughs>
1: it's not Sharknadoes you're quoting. It's all good.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's uh, but it's uh, it it ties right in with what you're talking about because it's about when you face a crisis, right? Mm, sometimes the crisis is, and sometimes it isn't as bad as you think it is. So the, the the short version of it is there's Chinese farmer, he wakes up one morning, goes out to his field, his horse is gone, right? And for a Chinese farmer at the time, horse, this may as well have been like, you know, a, a big John Deere tractor, right? This was his tool of his trade. Well, the villagers come by and they see the horse is gone and they're like, oh, we're, we're very sorry, your your horse is gone. And he just said, uh, uh, they're talking about how terrible of a thing this is for him. He just says, well, maybe. I think that's an odd reaction, like your livelihood uh-huh. just ran away. Well, later that night, horse comes back and has got like three other horses with him. Next day the villagers come by and they see now all of a sudden this guy's got four horses and they're happy. They're like, Oh, this is such a great thing. Now you've got four horses. This is great. And he says, well, maybe next day his son's out and he's trying to break the three wild horses that came with his, came back with his horse and his son falls off and breaks his leg. You know, this is pre-medicine, modern medicine villagers like oh this is such a terrible thing your son has broke his leg he's going to be lame and all this good stuff and they're giving all these condolences and the farmer is like well maybe next day war has breaking out across china the chinese army comes through and they're conscripting all of these young men to go off to war and his son can't go to war because he's got a broken leg right and so through this series of of events you know, he's had these highs, he's had these lows, he's had these crises, he's had these high points, but everybody else has had this emotional roller coaster and the farmer has just been like, well, maybe let's just see how it plays out.
1: (laughs) I'm actually probably going to use that story just as an FYI. And one of the things that you put your finger on is the Serenity Prayer by Reinhold Niebuhr, but it's the A A N A G A prayer, and that is change what I can, accept what I cannot, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, and and in order for us to thrive, we have to define what that means, and it doesn't matter to me what what game we're talking about in any sports. The minute the experts in the stands, the media, anybody else, starts to define what your team should be, Earl, and if you start listening to their definitions, you're already out of out of your game. Yes, and there was a great—I um, can't remember the name of the book—but they talked about a study of the the fear of failure and they use the study of fourth downs and short mm. and they were actually talking about most coaches even though the odds are in their favor to get the fourth and short the fear uh, is more of what the stands and the media will say if they don't get it oh. and <clears throat> and to be responsible to be that kind of leader means okay what am I for? And to be fair, you know, if the goal is for more toys, more titles, more possessions, whatever you want me to call that, more trips, that's fine. But don't expect a lot of people to be wanting to be around. Because they're just a rung in, in the ladder. Yeah. And, and to use dark humor, funeral home director one of mine once said don't ever forget john where there's a will there's relatives
0: <laughs> yeah, <I like laughs> and, that.
1: and you know and i want people at my funeral for more than my will which isn't going to be a lot anyways but it's that investment mindset who can i invest what i do really well at who can who can I encourage? even if nobody knows that I'm encouraging them. Who can I come alongside of and say, and kind of while the critic is whispering in the other ear, I can whisper in their ear saying, you know what? We've got this. It sucks, but we've got this. And reframe that crisis change to be that opportunity. Because if you travel with your family, whoever you are, so in this case, Earl, but if the listeners, if you travel with family or friends, most of the stories that we end up telling come from the trips (laughs) that are not out of the brochures. Yeah. (laughs) They're the ones that, you know, I was telling a friend, I was doing some training last week and this person was saying, well, we're looking forward to going to Jamaica. And I said, I've been there. Oh, well, we're looking forward to scuba diving. And I said, no, I've done that. Oh, how'd you enjoy it? And I said to your comment, Earl, do you want me to tell you the truth or do you just want me to tell you what you want to hear? (laughs) No, no, no. Tell me the truth. Well, our dive boat sank and we were (laughs) about half an hour, 45 minute boat ride off the shore, off the coast. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And and obviously, the fact I'm having this conversation with you means we got rescued. But that process, and what's the stories that we talk about? Not if we had done the perfect dive and everything had gone smoothly, but watching how people unravel on a dive boat. We all had... They're called BCs, buoyancy compensators. So we can all float. And yeah, it sucked, but we'll figure something out.
0: Yep. So that whole road less less traveled, right?
1: Road less traveled. You got it. And, you know, my family is more like Griswolds. Like we watch Hallmarks, but we do not live them. (laughs)
0: Love it. Love it. Well, John, that is a great story there. I, I love that. I, I that that, I mean that that's not necessarily a hallmark show that that goes back to the Sharknado no. <laughs> thing there. But um, yeah, we, we've been chatting here for about forty five minutes or so here, brother, and then time has just flown by. Um, I'm kind of curious: is there anything we didn't get a chance to touch on that you want to leave listeners with before we close out here?
1: I'm just, I would really, and we mentioned it, but I'm just going to bring it home, is be the responsible leader that people need you to be. Define what you are for. Define what you want to come out in that hot water teabag moment in those crucibles before we get caught and know what you're for because that is the key for you as the listener for you and I Earl that is the key for you and I to finish
0: well I like that I like that a lot um and listeners take that to heart that is that is a great nugget to take away from this conversation and 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 Write that down, post that somewhere in in visual range so you can uh, uh, you can keep that in front of you at all times because I think that is a great piece of advice um, so John, people want to find out more about you, find out more about your services, what you do, maybe have you come talk with their organization they want to find a copy of Run toward the roar uh what's a good place for them to do that
1: so <clears throat> In reverse order, Run Toward the Roar is on Amazon and you can get it in a format that works for you. It's Run Toward the Roar, Transform Crisis and Change into the Opportunity to Thrive. Or you can go to online. For the work that I do is fortlog.co, f o r t L-O-G. Fort, you need a safe place in the frontier. You got to know where you're going. And a log is a journal to help others sail the seas because there's no point going there alone. .co, because I work with people, colleague, coach, collaborator, and hence the dot .co. And just shoot me an email. John at FortLog.co. Website is FortLog.co. Landing page for this podcast. FortLog.co forward slash the responsible leadership.
0: Fantastic. I love that. We'll get those uh, links in the show notes. So those are just a click away for the listeners. And I highly recommend grabbing a copy of Run Toward the Roar. A lot of great uh, input in there. A lot of it we've discussed here, Uh, but a lot of it we didn't even touch on. Uh, We didn't even get into the ABCs and all that good stuff. So there's a little nugget for enticing you to go get the book to find out what the ABCs are that John talks about. Um, John, I just want to say thank you very much for writing the book. Uh, taking on this project, really helping people uh, handle crisis uh, a little bit better. I think that's such valuable work that you're doing. And just thank you for being uh, who you are, doing the work you're doing, and being an outstanding guest on this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast.
1: And Earl, I want to say thank you to you for this kind of work that you're doing, getting people to think about their thinking. But I also want to thank you for being able to answer the question, that non-physical descriptor. And I love the way you used one word. So thank you for that.
0: Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership p h a l a n x dot thank you for rating reviewing subscribing and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact with that i look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode
1: today is working for me do you believe that for yourself